to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. As we have said many times, we are celebrating the 70th anniversary of WDET. And as part of the celebration around that anniversary, we're talking with current and former employees about how the station has changed over the years, as well as how the mission has always stayed the same through it all. So I am really glad this morning to be joined by Chuck Wilbur, who is an affiliated consultant with Public Policy Associates, Inc. And importantly for this conversation, he is a former WDET news director. Chuck Wilbur, welcome to the studio. Great to be with you. Yes, it's great to see you. Um, So let's talk about the years that you were here at WDET. When did you join the station? Uh, I came on board the staff in the spring of 1987 uh, to be the anchor during morning edition. So you were uh, taken over Bachelor. from a, well, I was taken <laughs> over from a guy named Don Gagne at yeah. the time, <laughs> right. who was who was a friend and who I appreciated as a broadcaster and and as a bit of a mentor. And um, in any event, I started out in mornings. Uh, about a year and a half later, my wife and I were about to have our third child, and I, we kind of decided that if I was doing mornings, I'd probably just never sleep at all. <laughs> so I, I graciously was allowed to shift to the afternoon uh, anchor slot during ETC, and then uh, not too long after that became news director. Yeah. So talk about what the station was like. There was a lot of interesting news in the late 1980s here in Detroit and nationally uh, what was the programming like, the news programming then? Well, the programming was far more limited in some ways. I mean, this was really before NPR became the institution that it is today. I kind of felt like we were always struggling a bit with our identity at that time. So some of the newsmakers we covered just didn't quite understand huh. who we were. And so I think that made our jobs a little more difficult. We didn't bring that instant credibility to the, uh, to the news situation. Um, but ironically, in the world I lived in, I lived in northwest Detroit at the time in a neighborhood that was full of DET listeners, so I might as well have been J.P. McCarthy on WJR <laughs> as far as my neighborhood was concerned. Yeah. Uh, once I strayed out of my neighborhood, I think I was a little more anonymous um, but those were the days just physically things were different. We were still located in the Maccabees building when I came on board, which I think you've, you've probably shared with your audience before. That was where the original Lone Ranger was produced uh-huh, uh-huh. in those studios. And when I got there, I think the move to 6001 CAS, 6001 a CAS odyssey as we used to call it, uh, <laughs> um, the, um, the move was anticipated, but it had been anticipated for years And so during those years, people stopped doing things like cleaning. (laughs) So the station, the station was was a little (laughs) rough around the edges when when I arrived there. Facilities were really limited, Uh, but it didn't matter because there were great things happening on the radio then, uh, in in news, in music in particular, Uh, and those continued during the years I was there. You know, we were. We were programmed a bit differently then, although DET seems to be shifting a little bit back towards what we were in those days, being able to blend cultural and news programming. Um, but we, uh, we had really the most adventurous music programming, I think, of any radio station in the country at the time. And I think we were aware of that. And we treasured it. Yeah. So, you know, people like Judy Adams and Andalisi, um, you know, were defining the sound. And plus, there were just incredible people that 
uh, hosted programs with Dave Dixon. Uh, to work with Ed Love always still remind, remains to me a great honor in my life to work with a broadcaster like Ed. So there were amazing people, the late Larry McDaniel, uh, you know, Matt Watroba, Robert Jones, and we had, a, we had an amazing lineup of people, and the audience knew it. Our audience knew it, at least. Yeah. We might have been a rarefied taste, but within <laughs> our world, people really loved the station, and so you always got a lot of affirmation working at DET, and I'm sure that's still true today. Let's talk about some of the stories you remember being uh, prominent at that, at that time. This is the late 1980s, Coleman Young is in his uh, second or third, well, his third term by that point, um, uh, or the fourth, or the beginning of the fourth term. Yeah, I, I think it was the beginning of the yeah. fourth term. I'm losing track. Yeah. I, do, I do know that, that um, my stint, my final years at DET, kind of coincided with pretty closely with Coleman's final years in office sure. and the emergence of Dennis Archer. I remember doing a program with soon-to-be Mayor Archer where he had just kind of uh, put together a policy uh, document that was going to be the kind of basis of his campaign and did an hour on the radio with him about that. And that was a, that was a great moment uh, where you could kind of see the next chapter in Detroit unfolding in front of you. Mm-hmm. But to kind of be there with Coleman in the last part, you know, it was kind of like the lion in winter, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> where you knew that, that there was a transition that was happening um, and you didn't quite know how long the mayor was going to hang on, you know. But it was an amazing operation, and again, I'm, we're going to refer to a lot of late people today, but the late Bob Berg did a tremendous job of relating to the media, um, and the mayor could be quite the antagonist of the media at the time, and in, in a pre-Trumpian way, <laughs> uh, had the ability to make the media into the, into the, the story, if it suited his purposes mm-hmm. in terms of uh, of defending his position in Detroit. Um, so I think as a reporter at the time, and I, I always considered myself at least a part-time reporter, no matter what else I was doing at the station, um, you knew that at a Coleman Young news conference, you could become the issue at any given moment. <laughs> so you had to watch yourself, right? <laughs> and so there was a little bit of tension in that. And uh, but it was a it was a fun kind of tension. Uh, I remember going to his news conferences and thinking that I wanted to always ask a question at every news conference because I didn't want to think I was afraid to ask a question. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Because there was that tense atmosphere. Uh, but it was terrific. Yeah. Yeah. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Chuck Wilbur, affiliated consultant with Public Policy Associates, Inc. Uh, Importantly for this conversation, he is a former WDET news director. We're celebrating the 70th anniversary of WDET being on the air. And as part of that, we're bringing back some former employees to have them talk about what the station was like when they were here. Chuck was the news director here from uh, 1987 to about 1991. Started out as the Morning Anchor, anchor took over for another very familiar name here on WDET, Don Gagne. Um, if you want to join the conversation, tell us what you remember about WDET from the past. Tell us what you remember perhaps from that specific era of WDET, the late 80s and early 1990s, uh, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work you into 
the conversation. Uh, Chuck, I want to talk about sort of um, where where WDET took you, this idea that uh, you started here as the morning anchor and became uh, the news director. There are lots of people who go on to other things in their lives, uh, journalism and, and not journalism from from uh, those roles here. what Where did it take you? Well, Stephen, when I came to WDET, I had um, gotten into radio just a, a year, about a year and a half earlier at a small station in Mount Clemens, WBRB, the voice of Macomb County. <laughs> um, and I had grown up in Macomb County, so the territory there was not uh, unfamiliar to me. <laughs> and it was my first job out of broadcasting school and um, gave me kind of the chance to get paid to practice is how I used to look at it. Um, we didn't have a lot of listeners then. In fact, I used to tell some people, yeah, I work in public radio. I used to work in barely commercial radio. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but in any event, I came out of WBRB and came here. And previous to getting into broadcasting, I had been working as a community organizer in Detroit. And even going back to when I was a student journalist at Michigan, um, I was always a bit torn between journalism and activism mm. and always felt those two kind of pulls in my life, like to tell the story, but also like to be involved in making the story happen. Um, so I always had to deal with that duality in my own life. Yeah. So when I left DET, which I was telling uh, Jake Near that uh, technically I left on a leave of absence, which I expect has run out by now. <laughs> I, I, I haven't read the union contract. haven't read the union contract lately, but... Uh, but I left on a leave of absence uh, to do a project on school finance reform with the Detroit Public Schools. So it was a, um, you know, again, that pull in, in your life between covering the news and making the news. And um, so I was able to, I was very fortunate to be able to go from that work I was doing in Detroit on school finance issues to a position with Senator Carl Levin mm. and for a good part of the next decade, I, I worked as Carl's state director initially. I should say Senator Levin. Anybody who knew him would always call him Carl, but it was Senator Levin, I guess, to the general public. Um, but I worked for Senator Levin here in the state as his state director and then did a two-year stint as his chief of staff in Washington in preparation to run his second of the two re-election campaigns that I ran for him, which was in 2002. In 2002, we also happened to elect a new governor in Michigan, if you recall. Yes, we did. Um, and uh, Jennifer Granholm had been a neighbor of mine in Rosedale Park, and we had been talking about politics, and in particular education politics, um, for the time we knew each other. And she asked me to be part of her administration, so I ended up serving in that administration for about seven years as a senior advisor for both education and communications. Again, mm -hmm. kind of dealing with those two poles in my life. And that's, that's kind of how I feel like you and I have gotten to know each other over time is as, uh, when you were serving in the administration in Lansing uh, and doing that work for, for Governor Granholm. And that was an amazing opportunity. And, um, you know, I still think we have a legacy of achievement, particularly in the education sector, that um, has, you know, moved the ball in Michigan. I don't think we moved it far enough. It's hard to move it far enough. It is very there hard. is no enough when you're in that work. But it was, it still kind of represents to me, um, you know, an opportunity for public service that's very rare. Yeah. Uh, I wonder what you make of the tension between 
journalism and policymakers right now, having served on both sides of that coin? Well, I think the struggle now is that, you know, you have a policymaker in chief in the White House who's rewriting all the rules and doesn't follow any of the norms. And I think that it's been very difficult for the media, including public radio, I think, to figure out how to respond to that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how do you not get suckered in as it will, you know, by, by some of the tactics that are being used, again, to make the media into the issue or to, to be able to put a bright, shiny object in front of us periodically to, you know, distract us from what the real uh, agenda of this administration is. And, and I make no bones about that. I mean, I'll, I'll spend every spare, every non-working moment outside my career right now in the next year trying to make sure we have a president who respects democratic norms. Um, and, and <laughs> or ho- even maybe one who knows what they are would be an improvement, correct? Uh, yeah, that probably would be an improvement, although I, I, respecting them is the key, I think. <laughs> right. um, and, you know, I, I do think that you, you reach certain moments where it feels particularly hard to be a non-combatant. So I know if I was still a practicing journalist right now, which I'm not, uh, I'd feel really torn over that. And and there is a lot of criticism that's being heaped on the people who are trying to make sense of that right now. I mean, you think of the folks at the New York Times and the Washington Post and, and the constant derision that they're facing because of the way that they've chosen to cover this president or to, uh, to respond to the things that he does. I, I think it's really interesting that you invoked uh, Coleman Young as kind of a, 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 an example of that. And I think they are, of course, very, very different examples. Uh, Coleman Young was nowhere near as cynical, I think, as Donald Trump is. He was not nearly as manipulative, but he did he did often use the press as a foil uh, and and as kind of a, a, a distraction from some of the things that he just didn't want to talk about. Sure. Although in contrast to the president, it seems it seems almost genteel, which is not a yes. word one often applied to Mary Young at the time. <laughs> That's right. Right. Um, but. No, I think that's true. I mean, I think the mayor, you know, in retrospect was governing in some difficult times and didn't have a very strong hand in Detroit. And if you look at him historically as somebody who got a lot out of that weak hand, Mm -hmm. in in large part because of the strength of his personality. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Fred in Farmington Hills. Fred, what's on your mind? Good morning. Maybe I missed it, but uh, Nkenga Zola recently passed, and I used to love to listen to her as a kind of a counterpoint to Ed Love. Ed is like the professor of jazz. He knows everything there is to know about it. But uh, Zola would would kind of bring us up to the current Hmm. time in the the field of jazz, and and I just loved listening to her. She had an infectious laugh that just, Made my day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm so sorry to hear that. I was not aware of Nkenge's passing. Yeah, just a few weeks ago. In fact, when um, um, last week when we had Frank Joyce on the on the program, he was uh, the news director here earlier in the in the 1970s and worked here with Nkenge. Uh, we talked a little about her role in the station. Uh, but I remember her uh, mostly just, just her name. I mean, a, as a kid growing up here in the 70s mm-hmm. and 80s, that was a name I heard 
on WDET and I believe at WJZZ. I think she she worked there too. That, but that I, could I, be I true. Could be I, I remember at one point we brought in Kenga into the news department because she had some news background, and we just uh, you know welcomed her as an individual into the department. But she's somebody I used to listen to. At one point, she did mornings on the station hmm. and had a great mix of music, including some things. I mean, the listeners pointing up to things that maybe were more avant-garde at the time, but she also had a real feel for things like big band and could figure out how to integrate it into her programming. And, uh, you know, she's just one of those people who really brought some special individual magic to this place. Yeah. Uh, Before we run out of time, I want to ask you about a show that you hosted here on WDET called Dialogue Detroit. Uh, And I saw that name and I thought I bet that was the Detroit today of the time that you were here. Well it was but it wasn't a daily show although I think I would have jumped at the opportunity to do it daily if we if we'd had the staffing to pull that off Um, but at the time our program director Judy Adams had a notion that we should be doing a weekly news program and it used to run right after All Things Considered on Fridays, which always upset my wife's Friday <laughs> plans. Uh, but um, in any event, um, that show gave me a chance to host, which I had done a good bit at WBRB in, in my previous incarnation. But it got me into that role again. And um, I think if I'd stayed in radio, that would have been where I'd wanted to have gone into that format. And we eventually, obviously, DET eventually evolved in terms of its programming and had more room for things like that. But at the time, my show kind of followed All Things Considered on 6.30 on Fridays. And it preceded a show that Ann DeLisi did called New Releases in Review. Hmm. And a colleague of ours used to dub my show News Releases in Review <laughs> and, and thought they were a neat package together. Yeah, right. But, um, but anyway, uh, Anna and I became great friends in those days and the friendship that's continued. And, and um, so that was just it about the ET. You could have a serious political program, which, which mine was, uh, followed by some of the most adventurous music you'd hear on the, on the radio anywhere. And that was just back-to-back on Friday nights. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Again, thanks for the call and the comments there. Let's go to Raf in Sterling Heights. Yes, good morning. Hi, how are you? Yeah, Yes, I'm just calling to bring up a memory from back when Mike Halloran was on the radio. I've learned so much from Mike uh, back in the day, like, you know, the beginnings of the band U2 and, you know, the music department was a lot different back then. They were driving the new, everything that was new in music, and that's what I loved about it back then. I hear a little bit now, but not as much. Uh, So that's a name that I don't know. I mean, I've heard it, but I don't know much about that show um, or that era here at WDET. Yeah, I'm struggling a bit with that one, too. I think I have a pretty good DET memory. Stephen, my memory of the station really goes back to the mid-'70s when I think I just stumbled into All Things Considered by accident one day I'd been listening to Judy Adams' music program in the afternoon, a program that I think she called Metamorphosis at the time. And um, all of a sudden I heard news on the radio. And, you know, news on the radio usually was a couple minutes, right? (laughs) And I'm thinking, well, this must be something special going on because these people aren't stopping after two (laughs) minutes. They're just going on more in-depth into the news. They're actually telling me a story. And so I used to think about it, well, maybe I should watch, listen to that if I'm going to miss the evening news on TV. 
And then after a while, I realized this is a lot better than the evening news on TV. <laughs> this is the thing I'm going to go to every day for my news. And then if I want to see some pictures about the news, I'll watch the evening news on TV. But if I want to understand the world, I'll listen to this. And so long before I even thought about working in radio, DET and NPR were shaping my sensibilities about the news. And I'm sure there's many people who've worked here in the news department who feel the same way, that the station and NPR kind of define the news reality for you. And then, you know, you might say, there's, maybe there's a role for me in that. Uh, Joan Isabella, who is our program director, says that we are going to have an interview, hear an interview with Mike Halloran later this week on Culture Shift, which is the midday show here on WDET. So listeners who remember that name or want to know more about it should tune in for that. Okay, Chuck Wilbur, affiliated consultant with Public Policy Associates, Inc., and former WDET news director. Thanks very much for coming in. Oh, my pleasure, Stephen. And, you know, I still know that phone number, you know, so. <laughs> 800 Yeah, I, I don't know if we have time for just one moment. Sure. But I used to have a favorite kind of way to talk during fundraisers about why people ought to give. And I used to posit this question. There's probably a listener out there who still remembers this because I'd say it ad nauseum. Um, it was that if you got up in the morning and you could listen to every other station on the radio just for free, but you somehow had to put a quarter in your radio to listen to WDET, I knew you'd wake up fumbling for that quarter. And that magic radio that I was inventing in radio, which is a great place to invent things, (laughs) would would be also work in your car and it would work in your kitchen and it would work, now I guess it would work on your phone and your computer, right? right? Of course. But that magic radio that would, you'd, you'd pay 25 cents a day to make that radio give you WDET instead of everything else you could get for free. Yeah. And I think that's still true today, although I think we could at least inflate that quarter to 50 cents. I was going to say, let's make it 50 cents yeah, just, uh, yeah, just to account for, for higher costs. Okay, Chuck Wilbur, really great to catch up with you here. Thanks for coming in. Great, Stephen. Thank you. Up next, we're going to raise a little bit more money during our fall fundraiser. And then we're going to have a conversation about our national parks and how they are changing. Stay with us on Detroit Today.